full disclosure, <laughs> I do not listen to these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Your voice is fine. I, I can't, I have a hang up on what my voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I need to, because Amy does this great thing. She does this thing where she apologizes. <laughs> she shouldn't apologize, but she apologizes for things that she may have gotten wrong. Mm. And I encourage that that way I can encourage people to to tell me when I'm uh-huh. missing something cuz I have blind spots which is good. And I want to know about those. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So I I just assume that I have lots of blind spots. <laughs> so and, you you don't need to hear about them cuz you got one. Cuz I after I leave I'm like god was that did I say that? Was that stupid? Did well I it probably that? was. Got to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. Again, it's I, Don Griffin. And I'm Amy McKees, and today we have a guest. We have Marianne Macklin, Senior Minister of Bloomington UU. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I am here. She's also a board member of the Bloomington Center for Connection. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be fun, having three of us well official we always have three because kevin's right there manning the 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 keyboards there but it's nice to have an official third yeah there we go it is this is our first time doing this so we'll have to learn as we go so what are we talking about today well we thought of having marianne of inviting marianne to be on the show because last sunday you and i were chit-chatting about when you decide that showing up is the resistance hmm. and like being present for something and when like boycotting or not being there or leaving for your own help, whatever mm-hmm. is the appropriate move. I got you. Yeah, I do remember that now. I'm getting older, so <laughs> it's easy. It's been a week. It's easy to forget what right. you talked about. You will always be younger than me, though. So. <laughs> this is true. <clears throat> So, you were saying that you go to the farmer's market because it's important as part of the resistance of white supremacy, it's important for you to go to the market. Mm-hmm. I think so. And you were talking about not going... Not, not going also could be someone's choice. Right. Uh, but I think they're, they're equally valuable. I think when you go at, uh, when you're trying to change things, there's several ways of approaching that change. Well, and you also, we, we were talking about church. Oh, that's right. Did I tell you I don't go to my church right now because? Yes. Okay, so we did talk about that. We started okay. talking about that and that you not going to church was also an act of resistance. Yes. And we were sort of teasing that out. Like, when when do you go? When do you stay? Because there are times that putting yourself in a place sends a really strong message that you know we are here we're not going away this is this is reality people you have to accept it mm-hmm. 
And you gave an example. Uh, you gave her story, didn't you? I mentioned a sermon that Marianne gave several years ago about deciding to stay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite do it justice. So um, can you tell And us so a I bit? thought I would invite you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to give the whole thing. Well, I'm it, trying to remember which time I decided to stay. You were saying <laughs> that I, the way I picture it in my head, and yeah. I've got like visual images yes, is how yes. I remember things. So <clears> I imagine <throat> you in the hallway right outside, even though yep. I realize it didn't look like that in the 90s. Yes. Um, and someone oh. telling you to stay yeah. or asking you to stay. Yeah, so this was um, in the 90s within the Unitarian Universalist congregation here in Bloomington and uh, was still struggling with GLBTQ issues. And I was out at the time, and we had started a program called Welcoming Congregation, trying to educate people and um, bring people to an understanding, getting to know folks that are gay. That was a huge piece of this, so they became educated. Some people left. And we went through a really difficult time, and I remember being in one meeting and uh, having somebody right behind me to say that there's just no worth in our society for having gay people. And so here's a, you know, a fellow wow. congregant. I was not a minister at the time. And, and just some other things happened that I was beginning to get worn down. I was beginning to feel that, wow, maybe this isn't possible here. And I was leaving... Uh, after one, not that meeting, another meeting that was just particularly ragged. It just, you just, I just felt, I didn't feel hope. Mm -hmm. And one of the elder members stopped me, and I'll never forget this because he had tears in his eyes. And he says, this is the time you stay, because if you stay, we can see this and follow through. And I did, because I listened to him. The very interesting piece of this that I found out later is that he and his wife joined the Welcoming Congregation Task Force Committee initially to sabotage it. Oh my gosh. Yes. And they got the education they were going through as we went through this, turned them around. And so ironically, he's the one who asked me to stay because I shared that story and afterwards, a couple of other people said, you know, there's another piece to this story. And they told me that. And I was just, you know, at first I was like, whoa. And then I was like, that's so cool. I mean, whoa, like, oh, that's awful. And then it was like, no, that's really cool. Because once they got into it and got into the process, they became allies as opposed to saboteurs. So, wow. Uh, yeah, that was a surprise to me, but yeah. still, it was, um, for me, the faith that people will change, but it, it comes from connection, it comes from education, so yeah, I stayed. Wow. That I'm... fits right into what you're teaching, or what you're trying to teach, and what your group is all about. Definitely staying in the conversation, like being willing to to enter into difficult conversations is a part of relational cultural theory. And in fact, yesterday we had a brown bag lunch mm. here and we talked about what Maureen Walker calls the arc three of empathy, <laughs> which someone made into like a rhyme, which was sort of like, but I can't do it, so I'm not going to. Um, <clears throat> but they are uh, tools to help you stay in a conversation when you're alarmed or convinced that it's too different for you to do that 
and and we talked about these tools and they're really cool and at the same time we talked about it not always being the job of marginalized people to stay yeah. and to like forge that path like there a lot more responsibility calls on the people who are already comfortable to be uncomfortable yes you're right but i think also there has to be some marginalized folks i hate to say marginalized but society does marginalize Mm -hmm. them or yeah we've got a hierarchy there's got to be a few that go out and say i'm gonna i'm gonna try it i need to i need to go there first i need to be the first person to open up a real estate black person open up a real estate agent uh agency in martinsville I mean, there's got to be someone, because I'm using that as an example. There has to be... Someone has to do it. Someone has to do it. Be, be, just like, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, it's, if she hadn't have been there, right? Put, you know, uh, you wouldn't have been able to change this, yeah. this couple's perspective on, on people. Yeah. So there has to be someone out there to, to, to push through. Yeah. And I have chosen to leave at some point. I want, I want to say that. It's not like that's. I'm always, oh, I'm going to stay. And um, another part for me was when I was in seminary, Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, we were working really hard to get some type of fairness policies in for GLBTQ. And I thought it would happen. We did workshops. We did all this stuff. And we were going strong. And, and finally, it was the president of the board took me out. And he said, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I believe in what you're doing. Fiscally, it's too big of a risk for us right now. And I appreciated his honesty. And I was getting near graduation, and it just felt, I just felt weird graduating from a place that, that wouldn't protect me, who had lost a, a, a faculty who was uh, queer. So I chose not to graduate. I just didn't go through graduation. I didn't take my diploma. I just said no. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. That absence, and there were some friends of mine who back, then, back in the day wore pink triangles to the graduation to, to represent, who could have gotten in big trouble with their denominations. I mean, when you're in a religious institution and you're dealing with, mm-hmm. the, with queer, queer issues, it can get really intense. But I just remember when I realized that I had that choice, and I think that's what's important. And it was also a symbolic choice. That's just it, too, right? It's, it's, it's not like I could have gone. It would have been okay. But it was more, no, I, I really can't support this right now. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm going to go and go through this, this ceremony when I'm feeling that conflict. And sometimes, though, you stay when you're feeling that conflict, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's different for different situations, and I think you had said something. It's different where you're at in your life, the person, mm-hmm. where the situation is. And I think, Don, you said earlier, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, we have different people around the farmer's market doing different things, and it's like it's important, the different pieces and how they come together and, and learning why those are there. To me, it's like, what's the deeper question of why they're there? What's the deeper mm-hmm. question? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the, so when, in the arc three of empathy, it's, the A is for awareness. Mm. Um, and we talked a lot yesterday about what that might mean, like awareness of your own cues of what's going on in you while you're listening, awareness of what's happening in the relationship, 
um, you know, what the other person is doing, how, how emotionally resonant it is. Mm. And then receptiveness of being open to holding difficult things and to maybe even holding things that are dichotomous. And then the C3 is uh, <laughs> curiosity and courage and compassion. Hmm. And I think, Marianne, you're getting at the curiosity, mm. like about why, what, what's the underlying question? Yeah, for any movement, because there's such a strong urge and yearn to belong. So what is it that takes people along a certain path to either belong to themselves, belong to something else, and then have to work through that, what that means. Which is what you talk a lot about, Don, I think, in, in what you do. I'm thinking about the underlying questions. I'm thinking about all the different ways of working. And Don, this is something you say to me a lot, is you talk about the importance of Black Lives Matter doing their work and of other groups doing their work and of like all these different approaches to moving toward justice. Because mm -hmm. yes, that, that's you, you said what you said. You're, you're the what the why, right? The yes. why. What 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 is the objective to what we're doing? And everybody has a different way of going about getting to that. And 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 maybe one approach isn't going to work, but maybe all together. Mm -hmm. I always think about King, and, and I know a lot of people, they want to quote King, and there, there are other great leaders too, but <laughs> King and Malcolm X and how without those two different approaches, big approaches, because there was SNCC, there were several other groups right. that were involved, mm -hmm. but without those two approaches, we wouldn't have gotten so far as deep into the civil rights as we, as, as we did, I think, so... I think we need it. We need the different. We need to let people know there's an easy way that we can change things, and then there's a hard way that we can change things. You know. I don't even know if there's an easy way. No, there isn't. Not anymore. Not the way we're go Not not the. Not where we're trying to go now. I think people want more than just to be. I think there's a real push for authenticity. Say, say more about that. I think there's a real push in society to be accepted for who you are. Not that, that whole idea of, uh, I, don't, I don't see color, or I don't see, you're just a regular mm -hmm. person to me. You're not gay. You're just a regular person. You're just a normal person. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. This next phase of becoming a better society is inclusion of everyone for who they are that's 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 and i, I think this younger generation really wants that mm -hmm. and even more they're not as willing to be like put into a category either exactly right? yeah i love that so one thing that happens to me of course because my experience should always be where we're going with this everything that happens to me is that when um, Indiana does something super duper homophobic or transphobic, <laughs> exactly. I have friends who say, we're packing up and leaving Indiana. We're not going to stay here. And I am 
mixed up on that because on the one hand, well, I don't want my friends to go because <laughs> I love these people and I want them in my life and I want to sit on the porch <clears throat> when we're old and talk about stuff together. Mm-hmm. And so th- for that reason, I don't want them to go. But also if everybody that doesn't like what Indiana does leaves, then that leaves me here with the rest of the people. <laughs> and I don't like that. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. um, <laughs> so <laughs> when do you decide that it's too much and that you have to leave for your own well-being? I think everybody has a different way of doing it. My, my, I, I don't ever want to wait for someone else to invite me or change things for me. That would be great if people would make things more comfortable for me. Yeah. But I'm at the point in my life that I want to I want to be part of the change. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to go ahead and push forward to, you know, I, I think it's wrong to say, and I shouldn't say it's wrong, it's just not for me to say, this is uncomfortable for me. I, you know, I'd like for someone to change this or I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I, I think people should try to help make that change first. Because if we wait for the powers that be to, to make it comfortable for us, well, it'll never happen. They're already happen. comfortable as it is. They're already okay with status quo. Yeah. So when you're willing to be uncomfortable in order to make change, you need other people to be willing to be uncomfortable too, it's particularly people who are already pretty comfortable. Yeah, and, and I think I think maybe, I, you know, I take that back. I mean, because I've been in situations where, um, like a church that we left, because we were doing the changing, we were trying to change things, or we were advocating for others, mm-hmm. you know, but it became hard when no one else would step up. Everyone else was scared to speak up, and it's like, Oh my God! You just left the Griffins hanging out in the wind again. <laughs> Don't leave the Griffins hanging out in the wind. You're calling me and saying thanks for what you said. Oh, yeah. but oh you're not. My, but yeah. you're not. You're you're not. But it's like okay, we we need everybody. That if you have a problem with this, we've got to, we you know because if not, you're going to isolate the people that spoke up for you. You all, all of a sudden, I'm out here in the out here by myself, and I'm not the only one that does that. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people that do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the whole Trump thing. Everyone's so upset with Trump, mm-hmm. and God, he does make me mad. He just God, he just <laughs> I, I, I cursed a lot last time, so we're not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna keep the cursing out, but he just <laughs> every day it's someone or some someone else. But I'm mostly upset with the people that let this happen and continue to let it happen and continue to let people get bullied because it's not them. That sort of leads to one of the conversations that I wanted to have is that one of the questions that I've heard recently is um, how do we talk to people who their, you know, their actions or the way they, the way they are in the community is not helpful in anti-racism work. It's holding us up or it's actively making it worse. And they're doing it out of ignorance. And for some of them, it's like this willful ignorance, like I already know everything because I'm, you know, I went to a protest when I was in my 20s. And um, 
for other people, it's, they just don't know. They don't have all the information. How do you engage them in a way that doesn't make them defensive so that then they won't learn or move? So which, which ones are we engaging? Are we engaging the people who, who, uh, who are just ignorant and they just don't know any better? Or are we trying to engage the people who should know better, but they don't want, they, they don't want to change? Wow. I keep thinking of this Ross Green line, and granted, I, I probably talk about him a lot, but he's aimed at kids, and his like slogan, like the if you want to just capture the essence of his work, is children do well when they can. I tend to think that humans do well if they can, and that if they're not doing well, something's missing, and it could be trauma that creates some really deeply ingrained personality habits that are hard to shake. And I think that happens a lot in predatory people Hmm. or chronically difficult people for lack of better words, or it could be not having enough information. It could be growing up in Southern Indiana with all of the blinders on that that affords you, that if we could somehow account for what's keeping them from doing well, whether that's through information or healing, that we could all do better. And then I feel like I have to add all these disclaimers about how it's not necessarily anyone's job to make them do better. And some people won't, and there are times that we walk away and say, that person can't do better, and I'll come back around again to, people have had lots of conversations with the Schooner Creek Farms and this week she was actively inciting violence. So there's, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying among the people that are trying to help, which there are a lot of, there are people within that that are ignorant of some of the root causes and some of the real dangers that are here. And so how do we talk to them in a way that pulls them in instead of making them dig in and be defensive and stay back? I want to go back to the couple that right because that's a that's a situation where someone was actively going in covertly trying to destroy what she was trying to put forth yeah and yet somehow they changed how how does that happen how what does that look like there was no yelling you weren't yelling at them to 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 change them Right, because I didn't know they needed. You didn't change. know, <laughs> <laughs> right. and I think often I don't. I it's you know you mentioned authenticity, and it doesn't work for everybody, no doubt. But if you're bringing your authentic self to a situation, and you guys have talked about this on the podcast, right? That something about that allows for a connection, a curiosity to happen. But it's hard when either stress is high or whatever, because then people get in this very, to me, binary way of looking. You're either with us or against us. You're either this or that. And that openness to have more than one creative solution to something opens up more. And so we were, at, you know, we were in a situation with this couple, right, that we had, we were holding space. We were doing education within ourselves. We started out with that program, first educating ourselves. Hmm. And so they were part of that. 
And sometimes that, you know, these changes can happen in an amazing blaze of glory, but I think mostly they happen in small, at least my experience, it's small interactions where there's a, some time afforded that you can be together and mm -hmm. some space that is being held. I, I, I shared a story once, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I was sitting by a woman on an airplane, and we were very different, very opposed views. But what was so wonderful is we had time. We weren't sitting across from each other. We were sitting beside each other, so there wasn't even a, a confrontational body language, right? We were sitting there, and sometimes we'd pause for 10 minutes after one of us said something, and took that in and I remember just saying okay breathe with that and then ask the next question and if I had tried to have that kind of conversation in a very quick way or I'm going to educate you or something it would have not gone at all and by the end we were connected and we were both changed there's no doubt we were both changed and uh, as a matter of fact we both left in tears from that mm. interaction and so there are so many different ways change happens and you know that's one of many but it tends to be the way that happens for me well darn it you guys what? are softening me up <laughs> <laughs> no wait huh? <laughs> no i'm Is see, that I okay mean, I, no i think it's i think it's okay i mean but i'm i'm kind of uh you know i'm kind of of the mindset of if people are not uh, how I want them to be, then screw them and I don't need them, mm -hmm. you know. But me and Amy have had several conversations about, I think we had that conversation about, are, 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 is everyone too far gone to change? Mm -hmm. And if there is no time frame and we're not trying to convert someone to our ideas in 15 minutes or less, or one tweet or one Facebook post. Uh, like the best post ever. Ever is going to change <laughs> yeah. everything. If we can start looking at it long term and just develop relationships, just like you said, just sitting there, uh, people will change. You and, know? and not that I haven't been out there toe to toe, right? No, right. You, sometimes yeah, I you think have to, to be. It's, it's just this different situations that. And the one I always think of is this, you know, I was at a rally and uh, and this guy was just in my face screaming, thank God for AIDS, thank God for oh AIDS. Oh, my God. And, and, it was, and, and it was like, what, what is my thing here? You know, and I just don't move. You stay. You do, I'm showing up right now and I'm going to mm. show up with, with this guy. It, it got really intimidating. And then one of the, the bigger guys with his leather on, came and stepped in and I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> so it's not like it was like, it, it, it was courageous to some degree, but um, I think he could see that I was starting to not be able to do that. I don't know. My thing right now is for all of us to build a capacity to enter into these really different moments we're finding ourselves in right now. And sometimes it's going to call upon us to be right there, be up front, and, and take the stand that needs to be be at that time. And, and sometimes it's going to be listening and, and holding the space. And for me, I'm trying to learn, for me personally, what each situation is calling me to. 
and not just my old habits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my old habits of how I've done this in the past. It's like, I don't think all those work. Mm-hmm. Some of them do and some of them don't. And it really depends on who I am and in that moment and what the moment is. And that awareness piece. It's absolutely the awareness piece. Or what the moment calls for. because the, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it calls for something else. It does. And Marianne got back to something when you were talking about, like, entering into the conversation without feeling like you have to persuade them or bring them over. And I, the paradox is that if you go into the conversation with a solution, it becomes really difficult to listen. And it's likely that you won't, you're more likely to not get to your solution because you already know how it has to end. And if you go into the conversation just curious like, I don't know what to do with yep. this particular piece. I don't know the best way to make our farmer's market more welcoming to everyone and safe. I'm interested in hearing your concerns. Also, knowing what your concerns are so that you can voice those without jumping to the solution, which is really hard. Because if you think really about hard. it, when people go into this, they're like, we need to get them out. So that's a solution. And it's one possible solution. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not the only. And so rather than knowing what you want to happen at the end, being able to slow it down enough to hear what you need, what your concerns are, like what's happening now. And I think that actually winds up getting us farther. Although if you think you're doing it to get farther, then it won't work. That's right. <laughs> you get tripped up on that too. Oh, so so really, you need to go in just almost with a blank slate. Are you just trying? Is is it trying to get to know that person as a person, as opposed to what they stand for? I I don't know, like blank slate or just getting to know them, because an important piece, and this is one that I think in the past I would have been more willing to cast aside and that actually listening to people of color on this whole farmer's market thing has shifted me out of that. Like my earlier way would have been, sure, just cast yourself aside and be open to knowing what the other person is. And now I'm more at a place where I would say, know who you are as you go into it. Yes. And like embody that and be curious about the other person. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that white supremacy is not okay. Like, I already know that. That's my concern, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is the white supremacy. So not necessarily letting go of, of those things, but also being open because I don't know what the solution is. And being aware of the situation. Yeah. I, I just want to come back to it because sometimes what the situation is, what the context is, is that it may not be a time that listening is going to be the right. <laughs> best thing, right? Right. And yeah. And I'm talking like, I, it's easy to move toward the white supremacy, like the really, really hard and possibly impossible conversations mm-hmm. and away from like these conversations with people that probably vote the same way we do and that we just have differences in how we approach this right. issue mm-hmm. and how to have that conversation. Yeah. I think you're good at this. I know that you talk to people who are like, I'm holding my arms way wide, like from one side to the other. And they are all friends with Don because 
that's so far sort of how you go. <laughs> I mean, because they're all good people, they just have different ways of going about. They they see a problem, they want to solve the problem, and it's so sad. I think they all like probably would like each other, but right now they hate each other because of the way that they're doing it, the way that they're going after the same problem. It kind of breaks my heart, actually. Um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and it's hard to do this without turning into why can't we all just get along? Because that's that's really not yeah. the point here. No. But what I'm wondering is how, how can we facilitate connection and conversation between people who, like, if you dug down enough and you helped, like, sort of peel away some of the ignorance that's blocking it, we would all want the same thing. Yeah, and, and I don't, I think where I'm struggling is I understand that every single person's way of doing this and going after the solution is partially effective. And yeah. just because they're not doing it like you would like them to do it doesn't mean that they're bad people. That's, that's the problem exactly. I, I have is that mm -hmm. they're fighting each other when they should be going after the same, spending all the time going after the same problem. Right. Although then defining that problem gets tricky. And I did. I, I said that we were going to talk about how to be an anti-racist this week. And then I didn't finish the book. Okay. But I am enjoying it. And what I keep thinking of while mm. we're talking about this and the differences is he talks about the, the difference between wanting segregation and wanting assimilation. And that really neither one of those is... Good. Super helpful, oh, oh right? Oh my God, I need to read this too. Cause... Right, but but he talks about you know what, of those then being anti-racist about it. The assimilation example I heard this morning as I was listening was these young men need good mentors, and you know like sort of the white savior mm -hmm. idea, or even I, I don't even know that it has to be white mentors, but just the idea that we can help them be more in tune with our cultural values. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas segregation is super easy to be like, oh, that's bad, because that's, you know, white mm -hmm. supremacy in mm -hmm. its most obvious form. But being anti-racist is like a whole different level. And I, I love that idea. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here is there are people who believe they are not racist, but they're pulling more for assimilation Exactly. I think while the rest of Indiana has been segregationist, even the larger communities, mm -hmm. what you go to an Indianapolis or a Fort Wayne and you'll see there's a black section of town. There is yeah. a Latino section of town. There is mm -hmm. a white, you know, you see it. It's all broke, you know, and I've got relatives who will not go to Carmel who are 70, 80 years old and have never been in, to, in Carmel because they remember a time where they would get pulled over you know remember a time or they'd get pulled over now they say well i don't know i mean i i, I go don't up, know. i go up there all the time i mean i'm i'm there all the, i go where i want to go doesn't mean i don't get pulled over though either right, <laughs> I know. right? um but i go where i want to go um i think bloomington for a long time they mm -hmm. wanted to, it was the whole idea. It's like, I don't see color. Like we were talking about before. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't see color. We're all the same. And it's, and, and uh, no, we're, we're, that's what I'm saying. I think the authenticity is basically, the, it's the same thing that you're talking about. Being anti-racist, being anti-this, being anti-everything, accepting people for 
who they are and embracing their differences. Mm-hmm. Being able to celebrate the parts of different culture. That's you know, right. you've talked a lot about that you love being black and the things that you love about it. Yeah. So one thing we want to make sure we cover today is that the summit is coming up. Okay. It's getting closer and closer. Okay. Nice. And it is September 19th through the 22nd. I can report that now we have a call for proposals. If there is something that you're interested in sharing while you're there or exploring more deeply. Uh One of the things that I love about RCT is that our our work started with these things called works in progress at the Stone Center, and it allowed for like continued input and conversation and growth of the paper because it was a work in progress. You weren't, it wasn't finished. Okay. And so we are looking for works in progress for Friday. If there's something that you're working on with RCT that you want to talk about more. Okay. Um, or you want to share with someone, or you want feedback on any of that, um, we've got that call out. We've already had our call for posters out. So if you want to visually explain something. Like RCT? Something RCT, yes. Roads, what? Maybe it's cows and trucks. (laughs) Roads, cows, and trucks. I guess, I don't know. Maybe it's a farming thing. (laughs) (laughs) Relational cultural theory. Okay. RCT. RCT, okay. Yeah. We actually, we worked with fourth graders today and a few third graders this morning. And my friend Connie did such a good job of like really quickly explaining each word. And now I said that, but I can't do it. But I do remember that she said theory, a way of thinking, like, which is how they use theory in this particular context. Okay. So we're teaching them this concept at a young age then. Yes, because it's helpful. The thing that we talked about today was the impact of culture on our relationships and how we all have different cultures. And we had the kids talk about what some of their, some of their cultural identities and uh, how that impacts our relationships. Mm -hmm. And then next week we're going to talk about like how our brains are designed for connection. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And this helps them like go into their relationships i think particularly going into middle school where it gets really pretty rocky mm-hmm. with an understanding that disconnection and reconnection is a part of growth and maybe it doesn't have to be the end of the world when you know shirley doesn't let you sit at her lunch table or maybe you'll be more willing to invite shirley to sit at your table because you understand the value of connection mm-hmm. i'm not sure well, I wish I had done that. I'm still upset that Shirley wouldn't let me. That's <laughs> been quite a it's been 40 years off. ago. <laughs> Shirley. Shirley. The one that got away. And Dr. Dolores Finger Wright is coming. What I've, a great I've confirmed name. and heard from her that okay. she's coming. This is who I was telling you if you watch the Tell Them We Shall Rise or We Will Rise, maybe it's not so formal, I don't remember, mm-hmm. documentary about the HBCUs that she's right in the 50s, like at the 52-minute mark, I think. You can hear Dr. Finger Wright talking about how it felt to be protesting during the Greensboro sit-ins. Okay. Super powerful. Okay. I got to um, gotta focus on that, the message, and not her last name, Finger Wright. Yeah, you could write with your finger. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was just thinking that maybe someone had the wrong finger up. <laughs> all right all right so you can find that like at eventbrite 
it's learning together. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Bloomington Center for Connection. And thank you, oh, well, Marianne, for being was, here. This was wonderful having you. It was really wonderful to be here. Yeah. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr., Amy McKeese, LCSW, and Marianne Macklin was recorded on Friday, August 30th, 2019, and edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Join the BCC on September 19th through the 22nd for the second annual Relational Summit, Learning Together, hosted here in Bloomington, Indiana. For more details, follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. We've got a Pride Fest happening. Are you going to be there? Of course. Yeah. Heck yeah, I'm going to be there. Actually, the whole day is a celebration. I'm going to be there, maybe at the Star Trek booth, so make sure. There's a Star Trek booth? Are you kidding? I think there's going to be at Pride Fest. (laughs) I love that. If I have anything to do it. So, you know, you got to get the diversity out there. Yeah. In all different ways. I mean, that's that's just, I love that. It'll It'll be cool.